What is up, guys? We are back again with another episode, and today we are joined by the beautiful Brian. And um, he was on the last episode. For those who are following along with this series, um, next week the other two co-hosts, if you can call them that, will be back. But Brian has some valuable information that we want to share in this female series, and also just in general. Like obviously, this is you know pertaining to the, the female series, but it does also apply to, you know, people who eat, which is most people. Um, so this is a really important episode and I'm basically going to take a backseat, which, you know, regular listeners to the podcast will know that I uh, don't do because I just fucking talk so much. Um, but hopefully you'll hear more of Brian's voice than you'll hear of my voice today. And with that in mind, Brian, I'm going to let you introduce the topic and then also maybe give them a bit of a background in terms of why they should listen to you about this. Like, you know, is this something you talk about a lot? Is this something that you research a lot? Is this something you deal with a lot? Why should they listen to you and what are we talking about? Thank you, Paddy. Uh, Yeah, so we're going to be talking about relationship with food, how to improve that, and then obviously in the context of this, female fat or almost a female fat loss series, female health series. Um, this is, you know, we're going to have a, a female spin on this because, you know, women generally are more predisposed to having issues with this sort of stuff, you know, issues with their relationship with food, issues with their body image, issues with disordered eating, eating disorders, all this stuff ties together basically um and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it in the context of someone's relationship with food um i don't think i've ever done a comprehensive podcast on these topics like i've, I've talked about them in some shape or form for probably a couple of years now it's hard to gauge time after covid like you say a couple of years ago and it was really four years ago but um no it, it's an area that i've had a lot of success in in recent years working with clients something i've seen more and more and then obviously when you have more successful people on this stuff, then you start to get more people who, are, who want this sort of help. Um, so it's led me to this point where, you know, I'm extremely interested in this kind of overlap of nutrition and psychology and disordered eating and how all this stuff takes place and then how we can improve upon it, which, you know, this, this podcast is going to be very practical. I don't want to just wax philosophical about, you know, the nature of this stuff. I want to, I want to give people good points that they can take away and, and hopefully implement because uh, so many people struggle with this stuff and we're going to get, we're going to get into reasons why that is. Um, but that's like the work that I do with people on this, like when you see the breakthroughs that they have and how it does quite literally change their lives, you know, as kind of uh, corny as that sounds, it's, it's extremely rewarding. Um, and obviously just makes you want to do more of it uh, and, and learn more and just be, the guy when it comes to this sort of stuff so that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna look at um so yeah that's that's the nature of the podcast and why you even have me on here in the first place talking about it yeah and this is there's, there's two reasons we're going to be talking about it today and in this context of the series and that's because i know a lot of coaches have clients that deal with this stuff and they don't really know what to do you know like this stuff is not taught to you in your personal training courses you know it's, it's just not taught there and then even if you go online it's you know you it's hit or miss you could have really good content or you could have fucking awful content hmm. uh, 
put your way, you know? So it's very hard if you are in this space and you're trying to help other people, you know, just a general population client, you know, you're just like, oh, you know, you, you have an issue with your food that I don't know how to deal with, you know, and I'm supposed to be the person that helps people with their nutrition, their health, et cetera, you know? But then also I want this to be practical for, um, you know, just your average person listening to this that maybe needs to improve their relationship with food, which is a lot of people, and they, a lot of times they don't even realize that they do actually need to improve their relationship with food. It can be for some people really overpowering and overcoming, like it's very front and center in their mind, but some other people can kind of brush it under the rug. And this happens all the time in, you know, more fitness oriented circles in terms of they can kind of get away with some of these disordered eating patterns purely because, they're exercising so much and they don't necessarily see the negative consequences in terms of like, you know, accumulating body fat, or they don't see it in terms of, Oh, my performance is still good. So it shouldn't really matter. Or they don't see the, the, the negative health aspects of this, you know? Um, but then, you know, sport usually ends for people at some stage in their life. And as a result of that afterwards, you know, we open Pandora's box, you know, and that's, you know, it, all hell breaks loose, right? Um, but when we're talking about a good relationship with food, I suppose it makes sense to set some, you know, ground rules. I suppose. And um, what is a good relationship with food? Like, what does that actually mean? Mm. Uh, so I, I, I don't know what you'll get if you Google, you know, what's a good relationship with food. I don't know. I haven't looked. I'm going to tell you what I think it looks like from from my perspective in terms of like, you know, the the study that I do on this stuff, and then the the actual client experience that I have. Um, and we're talking, we're going to talk about it like rather broadly. It's basically where you can go day to day and week to week and not have food occupy a huge amount of your headspace and that you're maybe worrying about what to eat, how you're going to eat it, potentially your control over how you approach your food. You know, do you worry that, you know, if I have one biscuit, then I eat the whole packet and feel out of control in that sense. Do I have issues with obviously, disordered eating patterns where you know binge eating regularly or you know being overly restrictive in my food intake and like you said there a lot like the fit the fitness industry or you know the pursuit of fitness can mask a lot of this stuff and like someone asked me recently it's like you know if, if you look at a you know kind of say prep prep competitor uh, or prep competitor like a physique competitor and uh, who's doing a prep it's like the things that they do in relation to their food like is that disorder and it's like Pretty much, yeah, right. But at the same time, it's usually short term. If there's a good plan in place afterwards, hopefully it gets better. But in a lot of cases, it doesn't get better. A lot of places, it's terrible. And it's just masked by the fact that you're on a prep for a certain period of time. And therefore, you know, you, you can hide it behind, say, dedication, let's say, or something like that. Um, but basically, you want to be able to interact with your food day to day in a way that you know basically doesn't generate any undue amount of negative feelings or emotions i would say so you're not like you're not having this worry you're not having anxiety you're not feeling guilt about eating certain foods you're not stressed about like you know is this the right thing for me to eat or not those are the sort of things i'm looking at when when someone has a good relationship with food like you know for you and i patty we've good relations with food we don't think about it that much day to day we kind of think about okay what are we going to eat yeah, I want to eat something that tastes nice and then helps me with this, you know, second part of this, which I would glasses like, you know, does your food help you to live a life 
that you're happy with, basically, that you want to live? Or does it pull you down a little bit? And I think that's a really good distinguishing factor because for the people that I work with on this stuff, it's nearly always the case that it's, it's dragging them down to a large extent. You know, it's occupying this huge amount of headspace, huge amount of energy, like physical and mental energy day to day. Like, I, I find this quite interesting. Um, you know, for anyone who, who wants to talk about like food as being only physiological, it's like, why, why do people who binge eat feel exhausted as a result of binge eating? You know, they've consumed so much energy, right? So they're definitely eating enough calories. You know, there's nothing else wrong from that side of things, yet they feel exhausted. It's mentally taxing. It's really mentally draining that they have to deal with this shit. So for me, it's does your relationship with food complement your life? And again, you can, in certain elements of, of fitness, you can mask this stuff because it's like, oh yeah, no, it helps me get shredded, you know? And so that's clearly what I want to do. But what's behind and what's underneath all that is like, you know, why do you want to get shredded in the first place? Is that coming from a good or bad place? Um, which is something we need to talk about in, in the course of this podcast as well. But for me, that's basically what a, a good relationship with food would look like, you know, and if I'm trying to define it here. Yeah. I often describe it with clients. Well, in the past, at least I've used the, the kind of analogy of walking a dog, right? Like if you're walking a dog and the dog is in control, like you see people walking their dog and their dog is pulling them along, you know, oh, it sees another dog over here. Oh, it does this. And it's, it's back and forth and it's, it's dragging them along. Right. And in that case, the, the analogy here is that's the diet being in control. The diet is, you know, or, or you know, the food over here, I need to go over here. I need to do this. And you're just being pulled along by the diet you're at the whim of the diet right now some people try to gain back more control right and they try to be controlling and you see these people walking their dog they're pulling back the dog you know they're really like it's it's always a, a battle here you know they're like the, do- the dog and the, the diet the, the bad relationship with the diet it's constantly pulling them in this direction oh there's the, the biscuits over here or there's the cake or the whatever and there's just this huge amount of energy being expended to like pull back the diet or you know pull back the dog right but what you really want, or what I often describe it as, you want to be in charge, right? If you're in charge of your, your dog, the diet here, you're not controlling. You're not controlling the dog. You know, you can go over and you can go over to something that is, you know, something that would excite your dog, but the dog knows you're in charge. You know, the dog is like, okay, well, I'm not going to do this unless my owner here says that I'm allowed to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. So you could let the dog off the leash and it's still going to be at your heel because you're in charge. And that's effectively where we want to be with the diet. You want to be in charge. You don't want to be controlling, you know, because that's often what people try to do to overcome this stuff. You don't want the diet to be in control. You just want to be in charge, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah I love that analogy. You always have such good analogies, Paddy. Um, my is broken. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's great. And it's like, yeah, I, maybe to add to that, you could talk about it being like effortless control, you know, mm. so not not trying to exert your will forcefully over your diet where at any given moment it could all just, you know, fall apart. Um, that That's not really control. And like you said, it's definitely something that happens a lot as people try and double down on this control aspect, which often just looks like overly being overly restrictive or there's other things in their life that aren't going as planned and food and their nutrition is something that an exercise as well is something that they can take a good hold of you know so it's like oh, it's fine i have control of this but everything else is kind of burning down around me um so that's a pretty common response that you see like in this area is you know certain things aren't going well 
but something that people have learned to do is exert control over their nutrition. And then, you know, it's, it's not really helpful, um, but it, it's just a coping mechanism of sorts. Hmm. And like, you see this all the time with uh, like full blown eating disorders, you know, someone who say is anorexic, like they're trying to exert their will. They're trying to exert their control. Like they're trying to claim back some of that control by, you know, excessively restricting calories they're just like i need to get these as low as possible and that's how i'm going to be in control you know but you're still not in charge then you know you're you're not the one that's in charge you're still being consumed by these thoughts around the diet you know the diet is still dictating where we go with this stuff you know and you see this in the fitness industry a lot it's this kind of quasi uh disordered eating disorder you know space where people talk about this stuff right um and you can still see that these people are battling with these demons, these issues, because they're still talking about it all the time, you know? And there's a hard thing to kind of go around where it's like, yeah, you want to bring attention to this stuff, right? But the fact that you talk about this every single day or every single week still shows to me that this is something that is consuming a large part of the mental real estate for you, you know? Whereas Mm -hmm. people who are, you know, they have a good relationship with food, they're not being dictated by their food choices their food selection whatever like they just don't think about this stuff yeah you know? so it's it's a hard one to to navigate because you want to bring attention you want to educate you want to help but yeah you know you don't want it to be all consuming it's one of these ones that's especially prevalent you know you know this kind of lack of authenticity in the fitness industry at times so you know you can you know this, this happens a lot. It's like, you know, someone can be posting, looking like everything is happy and merry, but then you as their coach are looking at their check-ins and you can see it's very, very different to that. I think that's obviously my kind of sample is, is somewhat biased here, but I think that's something you see a lot of with this relationship with food stuff. Because like someone could be talking about, you know, loving themselves and X, Y, Z, and, you know, like giving off the appearance that they have a good relationship with food, but then you as their coach see that, well, it's not actually the case because they're still working with you very diligently on this. And that's, you know, it's not a, not a problem that they need help, but there is sometimes a disconnect. And you just reminded me of it there um, in terms of what you're talking about, that, you know, the fact that someone's talking about this stuff so much, you know, are they still, are they actually in a good place with it? And, you know, it, I want to make this very clear as well for any, especially any professionals listening to this. You don't need to have this stuff together for you to be able to help people. Right. That's that's something that I see so much, you know, PTs that come to work with me. Um, you know, they're like they have a poor relationship with food. They have issues with this stuff. And they're like, you know, how can I go and try and help people when I don't have this shit together? It doesn't matter. Right. You, you have the skills to help people and you have the you know capacity as a coach to do that or you don't. It doesn't really matter that you have your own shit together because none of us have our shit, shit together completely. Right. And I think that's good to get that as a. You know, public mess or a more public message like in, in this context um but yeah 100 so let's get really stuck into this why 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 might women be more at risk for this stuff you know why might they be at more risk of a, a poorer relationship with food yeah so like if you look at um say eating disorders like full-blown eating disorders they they're more prevalent in women um for sure now there's you know, there's potential reporting issues on that could be why that is. But, you know, there's many, many psychosocial factors that play into how these might come about. Um, I will say that the binge eating is about 50-50. 
So about same proportion of men and women deal with binge eating uh, specifically, but things like bulimia, anorexia, seems to be more women dealing that, with that stuff that we know of. Um, and I think a large part, so a large part of this, like one of the biggest driving forces for say disordered eating, poor relationship with food, a lot of it comes back to body image and trying to manipulate what you look like for various reasons, right? So if, you, if you're listening to this, I'll put the question to you. It's like, how do you know what you're supposed to look like physically? Okay, and, and just give that like some thought for a minute, right? Because it's, it's quite often something nobody has ever considered. But then when you point that out, you're like, oh, it actually makes a lot of sense. And then when you look at like things like, you know, media, you know, uh, cultural and beauty ideas, these kind of social pressures, especially for women, like men have these as well. And it's more in, in line right now because these are ever changing. Right. So let's get, in, get into that in a second. But men, you know, it's more like, you know, you need to be fucking jacked. Right. Shredded and muscular. That's kind of the, the beauty ideal, if you want to put it like that. Um, but it's different for women. And again, this stuff changes, like, depending on like what's trendy, essentially, in society right now, because, um, you know, you, you could if you go back, uh, maybe to, maybe like the 1950s or thereabouts, you know, you can find literal ads for women, like in magazines and stuff to say, you know, you know, eat some more butter on your food so you can like be more curvy, basically. Right. And then if you look at uh, kind of the 90s, like the, the feminine ideal was more like this, like uh, supermodel, like super skinny look. And now where we're at currently, it's more like this kind of Kim Kardashian type physique where you have, you know, big ass, big boobs, small waist, generally lean, but again, very kind of voluptuous. And like, this is what you land on. So, I, you know, I'd like people to actually think about, you know, what is actually telling you what you're supposed to look like? And should you pay attention to that? So we've got like diet culture factoring into this. Um, but I think a lot of it comes down to this like pressure for women to control what they look like in order to meet these ideals for whatever reason, you know, you're sold on, on so many different things. Like, you know, you'll have basically a happier life. Um, if you meet these ideals, uh, you know, you'll, you'll have a better time finding partners. You'll just succeed in your life overall. And just life is just better if you can meet these criteria. Now it's obviously not the case oftentimes, depending on how people go about this. And so that's why, so basically women land on the idea that they're supposed to look a certain way. They start to uh, implement measures to you know, change how they look essentially. Um, and, and in doing so, you know, their, their body image by default is gen well, generally not very good. I won't say always. Um, and they basically yeah, land on this conclusion that I have to look this way. So I'm going to start trying to do things to make that happen. And that's basically the path down to having a poor relationship with food, uh, having poor body image, get into these disordered eating issues because, uh, you know, we can, we can talk more about how this will develop unless you, I'll keep going unless you want to jump in on anything here. Well, just on that, like I often find asking clients, male or female, like, why do you feel you have to look a certain way? Like, well, let's, let's actually go through the evolution of this. Like, what, well, where did this start? What, what, what were the thought processes? Because it's very easy to blame society or like you see a lot of people that are talking about this. They might be like, oh, it's the patriarchy's fault, you know, or this person's fault or whatever. And 
it's just lazy to think like that because you're, it's actually the media that you consumed as an individual, right? Like for example, like both of us are, you know, 90s kids. So a lot of the girls we would have been hanging out with when we were teenagers or whatever, they would have been exposed to stuff, you know, the, the kind of Tumblr aesthetic, which was like, you know, thigh gap, um, like skinny legs, that kind of thing, you know? But at, in different areas and different parts of the world, they were being exposed to different things, you know? So it's very easy to go, like I can guarantee you that there was very few guys on Tumblr, you know? So that was, <laughs> that was a, a, a cultural phenomenon that was driven by certain individuals within that community that liked that certain look that then propagated that certain look, you know, and it's not nefarious. It's just, that's what happens. You know, it's like with any culture, with any like a uh, microcosm of a culture, like these ideas propagate, you know, and some cultures are going to like this thing and some cultures are going to like this thing. And that's going to change throughout the years based on whatever, like we, we discussed in the last episode. I'm like, you can pretty much trace like uh low rise genes and stuff you know i'm like okay well that like leads to people getting eating disorders <laughs> um but also it leads to a certain aesthetic it leads to a certain like oh you have to have like washboard abs to wear these low rise jeans because that's the aesthetic that's the look that's the ideal but even when we go through like you know eons throughout the whole ages of, of humanity like it has changed like if we always like you know people always using like the male sphere like oh the kind of greek god ideal you know you look at these greco-roman statues and stuff and be like oh that's the ideal but if you dig up the skeletons of ancient greeks they're like five foot eight and they don't look like highly muscular you can tell by different attachment sites and stuff like the muscularity of these individuals you know so even they were talking about a certain ideal you know it's probably fabricated a little bit being like oh like you know they're like oh you know he was a goliath or whatever and it's like yeah he's probably like six foot you know which is you know distinctly bog standard average these days <laughs> you know um ouch yeah i'm saying you know but like you know what i mean it's like there's all these ideals that we have created in our mind you know now obviously they've been influenced by the culture they've been influenced by what you've been exposed to there's so many factors that go into this but when you actually dig into it and go, why do I, as an individual, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't lay the blame anywhere else. You have to ask yourself, why do I, as an individual, you know, why do I believe this? Why do I look at this certain look and go, this is the look that I want. This is what I think is the aesthetic, et cetera, et cetera. Like you have to actually take responsibility for that, take ownership for that. You know, it might not be your fault. It might literally be the culture the cultural zeitgeist was like, this is the look that we want. This is what gets, you know, uh, favorable media, airtime, etc. But why did you take that on board as something that you should look like, you know? And you see this as well in terms of, you know, people will have a certain ethnic characteristics, you know? Like you might be, I don't know, Persian and you might have a, a more Persian nose, for example. And people are like, oh no, I want that more Western nose or I want that, you know, more like a Caucasian type nose. And it's like, why? You know, and it's the culture that is being put upon them, you know, but it's ignoring their own culture. It's ignoring their own lineage. You know, it's ignoring what they have, you know, that their people found attractive for thousands of years, you know? And it's like, why do you actually feel that, you know? So we have to we have to actually contend with all that stuff, and and it's very hard. Yeah, oh no, it's super hard. Like uh, everything you said there is correct, uh, but most people don't stop and actually think about this stuff. And you know, potentially when when they hear us talk about it, they might be like, "Oh yeah, that actually makes sense." But until now, potentially you're just going along, bought into this stuff, right? And you've decided like, okay. 
this is the stuff I'm being exposed to or I'm exposing myself to and I'm going to take it on board. And, you know, the broader question that we have to ask people is basically like, you know, what kind of life do you want to live and what kind of person do you want to be? And that sounds, you know, maybe a bit esoteric in the context of this podcast. But that's literally, you know, I've had clients who have had so much time and energy consumed by binge eating that once we resolve that, they have to ask themselves, like, I have all this extra energy and headspace. What kind of person do I want to be? Because up until now, I've just been a person basically who, to a large extent, has just been consumed by binge eating and trying not to binge eat. And it leaves, it leaves a gaping hole in their identity, right? And that's something they actually have to deal with and go through some, like, you know, value-setting exercise with people. It's like, all right, well, you know, what kind of things are actually important to you in your life? How can we do more of those? Because, you know, this is, we're, we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, but people will often use these body manipulations and the pursuit of that to achieve a goal that may not, it may not even be the best way to go about it. it. It's sort of akin to if all you have is a hammer, all you see is are nails, right? So you know, a common one that you might see is like, okay, you know, why are you trying to get in better shape? Okay, this might not be the only reason, but like let's just say for this example, you know, I want to attract and, and get a partner, right? I want to have a boyfriend or a husband or whatever it is. So I'm going to change my body shape, you know, to be more attractive. Uh, and to meet that goal basically but they never like they never and because of these things that you're kind of sold in the media like we've just spent some time discussing you may not consider it's like all right what else is actually important in trying to achieve that goal like, is that the only thing it's going to change how i look and then bam i'm going to be in a healthy thriving happy relationship like not necessarily like you need you need to be able to connect with another person you need to be able to first go like make it so you can go and meet people, you know, you need to overcome any issues you might have with that. So there's like so many things that you can potentially work on when you actually examine what your goal is. Like, what are you actually trying to get out of this stuff? Because you're not just trying to change your body to change your body. Like you're trying to achieve something as a result. So what are you trying to achieve? And are you, are you taking the most direct route? Are you making things harder for yourself or not even actually aiming properly at where you're trying to get to at all um but like like some of the other ways that people uh you know maybe like we all end up with these like beliefs around food and and like what our bodies should look like and so on and so forth and that's obviously the context of this podcast um so you know presumably you're gonna have to buy into all the things we just spoke about right in terms of the in the cultural influences that's just called in that um, but something always I often find is, you know, people inherit these beliefs along the way, you know, and like a lot of it sadly comes down to your parents. You know, if you're if your mother has, has dealt with this stuff, like for a large part of her adult life and, you know, she's in and out of sw- slimming world or Weight Watchers or whatever it may be. They're just generally what you te- what I tend to see, you know, you as her daughter, unfortunately, probably have inherited some of these beliefs about both you know, what you're supposed to look like, what foods are good and bad, you know, what foods have sins and what don't. Um, and basically you inherit a lot of your relationship with food from, from your mother. And it's usually the mother because, you know, depending on what age somebody is listening to this, like the fathers didn't have as much pressure on this sort of stuff, I don't think, um, put on them. 
you know, now it's a little bit different. I think I think there's more pressure on men for to satisfy some of these ideals. But you know, I think I think dads could just look like dads and have the dad bod, and it was it was no bit no major issue. Um, and then you may inherit more beliefs around this stuff through the process of trying to change them. So you know, maybe you go to like Weight Watchers yourself, and you start to pick up your beliefs from them maybe you hire somebody to try and help you get into shape maybe it ends up being one of these crash diet approaches so you learn that okay the way i succeed when the, with this stuff is like i eat 1200 calories a day and i train six times a week and i follow this meal plan and there's no flexibility on that and that's how i get results you know you're obviously not going to have a good relationship with food if that's what you learn works you know erroneously you learn that that is the way. Um, so it kind of taken like there's layers to this. So in one sense, the way that you may be trying to achieve a certain goal by manipulating your body shape, then you might be trying to achieve that body goal through a crash diet because that's maybe all you've done. Um, so, you know, if, if you hire somebody and they tell you, you know, cut out basically all carbohydrates, how do you expect to have a good relationship with carbohydrate foods when you believe that they are a limiting factor in you achieving this goal that you want to achieve with relation to your body, which then leads on to another goal that you're ultimately trying to achieve, essentially being happy and like enjoying your life. Basically that's a lot of it just boils down to that. If you want to put it really succinctly. Um, and then, you know, there's so much of this stuff perpetuated online and like, you know, the way the, there's an increase in popularity of like, um, what do they call it? It's like mixing reels, you know, where on Instagram, where, like, like what Gary did with James Smith's video the other day, like whatever that's called, I think it's called mixing or something like mm. that. But like, it's terrifying the conviction that some of these idiots speak with about certain topics related to nutrition and health. And it's like so cringy because like they're so wrong in so many aspects. And they're like, yeah, bet you didn't know that, did you? That, you know, whatever the fuck they're talking about. And it's actually scary, like seeing some of that stuff like crop up more and more now because people like us are using it for content, basically. Um, you know, people that be in the same sphere, but like the amount of conviction that I know has gone off in a time, the amount of conviction they speak with is, is terrifying. And you know, it's it is a literal minefield for people to try and navigate this stuff. So you're getting bombarded with all this stuff that tells you basically this is how you achieve your goal. Um and, you know, basically you need to detoxify your body and that's why you're carrying the amount of body fat you're carrying. So just do this juice cleanse and that's going to solve your problem. So getting into all these fat approaches that teach people that certain things are good, certain things are bad. You can't do this. You can't do that. You have to do things this way. Leaves people with just an awful relationship with food because then they get this fear and guilt and anxiety and you know, some people will have experiences where they're berated by their coach or trainer or whatever it is for, you know, having a bad week or, or the one, uh, the one where like they're tech, they're like texting them on, if they see they're on a night out on Instagram, it's like, well, don't be eating that. Like you better not be very having low cal drinks there. Um, all that ridiculous shit just culminates in someone having a terrible relationship with food potentially. Um, I'm going to stop in a second and let you actually uh, add, no, was, add something. That was but, all, all fantastic. Like you, you, we see this all the time when we do uh, 
you want to call them? Sales calls, we'll call them. Now, someone's coming to us and they're like, look, I want to see if you guys can help me, right? And we often bring them through a kind of exercise on the call where we're like, right, well, what are we actually aiming towards? What's the end goal with all of this? Like, what are we, if you were to work with us, you know, for let's say next five years, what would you come away from that and go, yeah, I learned absolutely everything that I needed to give me results, to get results, to sustain results for the rest of my life, you know? And you kind of need to look at that from the, the longer term perspective. You need to look at it from the like, what am I going to look back when I'm 70 and think, you know, what am I going to look back having taught my children these same habits, these same tools? Like, what am I going to think? Did I give them the best tools for the job or did I just give them, you know, the only tools that I had available to me, you know? And when we do this on like the, the call, you'll often hear people say like, oh, they want to know what to do with all this health and fitness stuff so that it's not, you know, it's not front and center of their mind, you know? And like this stuff is not their higher purpose on earth. You know, the stuff of like, oh, I have to calculate my calories. I have to, you know, really track my macros. I have to, you know, really manage, micromanage my nutrition. I have to really micromanage my training. I have to do all X, Y, and Z. That's not their main purpose in life. They want to have, like we said at the start of this, they want to have a diet, health, fitness paradigm that actually allows them to live their life. You know, it's uh, contributing to their life. It's not detracting from their life. It's not becoming the main focus of their life you know and what we often describe it as like a lot of people find themselves in a position where they have these sheets of paper you know and that's all their health and fitness knowledge it's like here's how to squat here's how you do your leg training here's how you do your nutrition and a lot of these pieces of paper they're actually just wrong you know they've scribbled stuff down that they heard somewhere else and you know they got it from social media like you're saying or you know the information is actually just not correct right but they still can see that this kind of all goes together in some sort of health and fitness book, right? But through a combination of them missing information, they don't have the full context, through them having you know, poor information and simply just not knowing both what to write in its place, not knowing how to actually write the chapters, the paragraphs, et cetera, and then also not knowing how to put it all together in a succinct manner, they're left in this position where they're always just trying to reshuffle the papers around, kind of oh, like put this together with, no, nah, that doesn't work. I'll do that. No, nah, that doesn't work. And it's very frustrating. It's very hard to find that like signal through all the noise, right? So what we aim to do with our coaching is, okay, here's what we have to do. This is the end goal with all this stuff. We want you to know how to do this stuff. These are the tools. This is how we think about this stuff. This is how we organize this stuff. And the goal at the end of our coaching is to come away from it and go, oh, I have the health and fitness book. And it's not just this generic health and fitness book. It's the specific health and fitness book for you as an individual, right? So that's generally how we're, or something that we sometimes do on those calls is go through that and go, what are you actually aiming towards, right? And people want that book, but they might not even realize that they want that book, right? And what they're left doing is, I always call it the health and fitness merry-go-round, they try this approach, they reshuffle the pages around, they try the approach, they go around the merry-go-round and then they step off and they've been putting in a load of effort. They've basically been pushing that merry-go-round themselves and then they step off and they're in the exact same position they were beforehand, you know? Yeah. Um, probably with another disordered eating thought, another issue, another something else going on because they've expended all this energy and you know they're having a bad time of it but they're no closer to their goal at the end of the day. They're potentially even further away from it because they're dizzy now, they're disoriented, you know, they've expended a lot of energy and it's, it's very hard for an individual to navigate that stuff effectively on their own, you know? What they're often left with in that situation is the, 
assumption that they just need to do, they have to do something now more extreme to actually improve this. Because like, you know, I tried, I tried X, Y, Z, it didn't work. Uh, I came off this merry-go-round, you know, no better off and worse off, if anything. Um, and it just, it's a kind of a dark path to go down because like, all right, well, I tried this and so now let's try something more extreme. And you just make the situation worse and worse and worse. <laughs> uh, I can think of an example of a client I worked with last year who, you know, basically fits that bill. Um, and she revealed to me like a few weeks in that when I initially told her how we're going to start things, she was a bit like, you know, what the fuck? Like, I, that's, that's too simplistic. And I have tried thing after thing after thing. I clearly need something, you know, special here. And you're not giving it to me. Uh, but then, of course, she did realize that what I was giving her was what she needed. And I got the results and getting just more extreme with it was just sending her further in, in the wrong direction. Um, so, yeah, just to just be aware of that, that, you know, it's not a case that you need to become more extreme, more restrictive, whatever, whatever it ends up being is probably not going to get you to where you want to be. Um, I wanted to add as well that people will use obviously food as a coping mechanism uh, in many ways. So essentially like to, to simplify this, like, okay, you feel a certain way. You don't want to feel that way. You want to do something about it. The do something about it for a lot of people that I'm obviously working with on this stuff is eat. Okay. So again, you could learn that this behavior for you works, right? It's one of the main reasons we engage in, behaviors repetitively like they have some sort of benefit so that's something i always like to point out to people is like you know say you do binge eat in response to stress or some sort of emotional angst you know you are getting something from that so uh, the way i like to phrase because people often feel like obviously they're fighting against themselves they're like why do i keep doing this like, why, why do i keep doing this like that's that's often the the internal dialogue and then external dialogue when they're talking to me about it but in reality, I want them to think about like, what are you actually gaining from your eating behavior here? And what does it do for you? And it's, you know, in a lot of cases, it's self-soothing, makes them feel better, you know, temporarily, obviously, until then all the kind of food guilt and stuff washes in over them. And that just makes things worse. But in the moment, they feel better. They're not having to feel, maybe they're just numbing things out. They're not having to feel whatever it is they were feeling that they, they want to deal with, you know, so nearly all behavior is, is there to solve a problem of some sort. So if the problem in this case is you feeling a certain way that you don't want to feel that way and you're not, and you're not happy to like sit with it and actually examine, okay, why do I actually feel this way? Which is really the direction you need to go with this stuff, you know, and, and sometimes that can be, you know, lead you to dark places depending on what you've uh experienced in your life. You know, if this is coming from some severe traumatic event, then you probably need to do this with a professional. Uh, and not me, uh, like I'm not a professional in that context, but you know, it, it, there's layers to this as there is to everything. Um, but basically, yeah, you learn that, okay, if I have this problem, the solution to it is eating. Uh, and that's, it's very, very common, obviously, in the people that, obviously with the people that I work with. Um, so it is a, a response that you've learned works well, even if it does seem, you know, self-destructive, at times it, it does serve a purpose. Um, but that's obviously another 
big elements to if someone has a poor relation with food that's not obviously that's not helping them live their best life mm. yeah like i always like describing it like you do as well it's like current this is your current solution to this current problem right so we just need to figure out better i'm putting out in quotes solutions to this problem now we as professionals in, in this realm might have certain tools but we might not actually be able to solve this problem because you might actually need like counseling to solve this problem. So we can put a bandaid over it and give you better coping mechanisms or better tools, better solutions here, but that doesn't necessarily take away the problem, you know? For some people it might, but for some people it might be, you know, uh, this is just a another tool that you have in your toolbox, but it's not fixing all the things. So I suppose the next point becomes like, how do we actually go about improving our or your relationship with food? Or, you know, maybe we have a client that's, dealing with some of this stuff like what 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 what's the process yeah the process is gonna look you know like like any like anything that you want to work on you have to set up some goals right so obviously you've you've come in to work with me or dean and you said you want to improve your relationship with food okay we have to get somewhat clear on what that looks like okay so basically i will ask everybody who who comes in with these sort of goals number one how would you describe your relationship with food right now? And number two, how would you like it to be different? So let's say you do, you know, five months of coaching or whatever it is. What's going to be different for you in your relationship with food at that point? And this can be more challenging than, say, a body composition goal because it's quite easy to say something like, oh, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to be 10 kilos lighter or leaner, whatever it is, right? So with, with this one and the goal setting here, you often have to consider, okay, I, the way I, like I frame it for people is like, you know, basically you wake up in the morning, you know, five months down the line, this stuff is all massively improved. What's different about your life? You know, you get up and, you know, it's going to look like things like, you know, I get up and I'm not immediately thinking about how I'm going to manage my food intake all day. I'm not immediately thinking like, shit, am I going to binge later? Do I need to throw this stuff in the bin so I don't eat it? exact sort of stuff and that ties back to what we talked about at the beginning in terms of defining what is a good relationship with food so and what i just said there is that's quite obviously occupying a huge amount of headspace for that person um so the, the like moving towards a situation where it won't do that but this is going to be you know slightly different for each individual so they need to think about this they need to think what am i actually trying to get out of this um and what that feels like, what's different. And then, you know, we can potentially get to work on that and see, because then we have something to aim at. Like until, until you go through that exercise, you don't really have something to aim at. And the way, like I'd say nearly 100% of people describe it to me, you know, either they'll say it to me or I'll say to them, like people often say, put it like this. They just don't have a normal relationship with food. They always use that word normal, right? Which, which goes back to what we talked about earlier. It's like, kind of it's kind of a non thing when i'm when it comes to my nutrition um which may sound a bit counterintuitive because like you know we all know how important nutrition is for someone's overall health and well-being but you're just in such a good place with it that you can kind of almost effortlessly coast through and like walk the dog and do all the things you want to do on that walk basically um to borrow your analogy because that's good i'm going to keep using it in the future um <clears throat> excuse me, but yeah, that's, that's basically where you're going to start. You're going to have to say, all right, what are my goals? What do I want to get out of this? Okay. 
And then if I'm working with people on this, a lot of it, to be honest, is about having a dialogue with them. Like about like obviously this kind of depends on what exact issue they're working on. Um, but basically all the stuff that we already talked about, basically all these beliefs that you've latched onto or have inherited or have invaded your space and your in your mentality, we have to start untangling those uh, to a large extent. So you know, if you're essentially afraid to eat bread, then we have to have a dialogue about essentially why is bread bad? You know, in what context is it bad? Why do you, why is it that you hold on to the belief right now that it is not something that you can eat? And if you do, it triggers a reaction that, oh my God, I'm eating bread. I'm not supposed to eat bread. So I'm going to eat like three loaves of bread and then I'm going to never eat it again, basically. Because that's the mentality people have with this stuff right? Because they get very, very black and white. They get very rigid with all these food rules. You know, if you have a, a lot of food rules, you know, it's usually a red flag for not having a good relationship with food. Um, in terms of like, you know, I can eat this, but not that, you know, obviously outside of some sort of medical reason um, or, you know, some you know, good reason affects your digestion or something like that. But you can also have them for like, you know, it's this distinct period of time. I know I overconsume on these, these foods. So I just want to get rid of them, whatever. And we can work on other stuff in the meantime. But yeah, in general, if you see a lot of food rules, it's you know, generally not a great, great, uh, great setup here. Yeah. So a, la- a large part of, of this process is us going through. It's like, do you have a list of bad foods, basically, that you're not supposed to eat? And then we have to just kind of take that list and start going through it and trying to understand your psychology behind it. So obviously I'm framing this in terms of someone working with me. You're trying to do this on your own you have to kind of sit there and do this work by yourself. All right. So you have to say, okay, what are, what is my list? And then you have to write down like, okay, why is that my list? And, you know, hopefully I'm going to give you more things that you can utilize now in a second, but, you know, I'm trying to take you through it step by step in terms of what this really looks like. So, you know, why do you hold these food beliefs? Um, and, you know, you can ask yourself, what would be true if, if these were accurate, you know, so this is kind of like a cognitive approach, like, this looks very like CBT in a lot of ways, um, which is very, very useful, I find, in this, in this kind of situation. And, you know, example I often use is this desert island example, which if anyone's listened to my podcasts on, like, when I'm asked about this sort of stuff, I'll nearly always use this example. Many clients, if they're listening to this, will uh, recognize it. Basically, you know, Paddy, if you say that, like, you know, bread is, is bad for you and you can't have it and it's on your bad list, right? It's one of the many foods on your bad list. Well, let's look at why that is. So I might say to you, Patty, okay, let's imagine that I've transported you to this desert island, right? And it's a very, very uh, unidyllic desert island, okay? It doesn't have like, you know, loads of coconuts and mangoes and things like that. There's not lots of game for you to hunt with your bow and arrow that you would assumably fashion. Um, basically, you're just sit, you're sat there on this desert island with nothing except water, and for whatever reason, I can fly a drone into you every day and it drops down a batch of Brennan's white bread. Okay. So in that situation, is this food now good or is it bad? Because in your initial paradigm, it's like bad. I can't eat that food. In this context, it's literally going to keep you alive. Okay. It's the only thing that's going to keep you alive, give you a source of energy. Yeah, you're not you're going to run into some micronutrient deficiencies, like to be fair, the bread will be somewhat fortified. Um you know, so it's not, you're not going to thrive, but you will continue to exist. Okay. Um, 
So how then can we decide that bread is just bad as a blanket statement? Okay. And then people might argue that, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Well, but when I eat bread, I just can't help myself. Okay. And that's something we need to get into. But what I described already is usually why that comes about. So if you tell yourself you can't have something and then you end up having it and, you know, quote unquote breaking, you're going to absolutely go to town on that stuff and all the other stuff potentially that you're denying yourself because you're quite literally in your mindset saying, I can't and I shouldn't eat this stuff. So I'm never going to eat it after this point. That's basically your goal. So you have this goal that I'm never going to eat bread. So I fucked it up now. I'm eating bread. I may as well make the most of it because I know, you know, I essentially want to go the next 40 years without eating it. Like that's the mentality. And I know it sounds a bit daft. It's like laying it all out like this now, but that's what it looks like. And then what we're going to do is, you know, take this list of bad foods and start working them into your diet. Okay. In small quantities, right? So this is kind of like exposure therapy that we're going to do. Um, you'll generally want to start with the foods that are like least bad in your, in your mindset. So let's, you know, if bread is enemy number one, then I don't know, a banana could be, could uh, be a good example of something that's like, yeah, I'm not really supposed to eat that because like fructose and sugar, um, but it is fruit. So maybe, you know, there's a bit of leeway on that one. So we might just start, you know, start adding in some banana a little bit, you know, if you're having porridge or something, like put a few slices on, see what happens. Guys, and this is something I say to all my clients in this um, capacity. It's like, I can tell you all the things that I'm going to tell you. I can lay it all out for you. I can say, this is how it's going to go down. But until you get actual in the trenches evidence that this stuff is working for you and everything doesn't fall apart when you eat some banana, you won't really fully believe me. You might 80% trust me because, you know, realistically, you've signed up to work with me. You've seen, okay, Brian obviously knows what he's talking about in this context. He has a lot of testimonials. He helps people with this stuff. This is what I'm going to try. But you might be only 80% there until you start to see the stuff that's working for you. You see you're not binging. You see that you're having banana. It doesn't destroy your health or your body composition. Okay. So we're going to try and do that with basically all the foods um, that, that you have, you know, issues with, essentially. Um, a lot of this is going to incorporate mindful eating practices, uh, you know, uh, a lot of which we discussed on the previous podcast because they're useful in a digestion context. So they're also useful here um, because uh, like generating more mindfulness and self-awareness is a big part of improving this situation because, you know, basically binge eating is the opposite of being mindful. Like binge eating is characterized by literally tuning out people often describe it as being like, I feel like I was literally outside my body watching myself do this. Okay. So that is completely mindless. Right. And a lot of people's eating is mindless in this context, because again, they're like thinking, Oh, I'm not supposed to eat this. So fuck, I'll just get it into me and get it over with. Right. Before I get like caught quote unquote. Um, so we got to slow things down. We got to give them that reassurance that like, okay, it's all right to actually have some of these foods. Let's see what happens. You have to give yourself permission to eat them first and foremost, though. Otherwise, you're just going to panic and, and, you know, overeat or, you know, throw in the towel or whatever. So a lot of this stuff in reality is uncomfortable, but it's just like going to the gym. Like you go to the gym and you lift weights and you feel the burn and you don't want to keep pushing reps out. But you do because you understand that there is a benefit to be derived from it. So you have most of you have no problem with 
going through some discomfort, um, which is kind of ironic in some cases with binge eating because, you know, it, it's an intolerance to feeling what you're feeling at that moment in time. But basically, if you're going to be mindful, you're going to generate more self-awareness. You need to be able to articulate what it is you're feeling. So in the normal pattern, it might be, okay, I'm feeling, well, I actually don't know what I'm feeling because I haven't stopped to think about it, but there's something there and I don't like it. So boom, let me go to the chocolate, make that feeling go away or at least block it out. So, you know, this is where we use like the feelings wheel. You know, a lot of my clients be familiar with the feelings wheel because we're, we're very, we're generally very, very bad at, at articulating our feelings. You know, people use blankets, you know, if they even get this right, these blanket uh, kind of terminology where it's like, oh, I felt stressed. It's like, what does that really mean? Like, we all kind of know what it means, but like, what exactly were you feeling at that moment in time? So you can just look up the feelings wheel if you listen to this and want to try to do this by themselves. Or if you have clients who you want to help with this stuff. And basically, the, the, the goal is to notice and name what you're feeling. So, okay, first of all, I'm being mindful, being self-aware. Okay, I notice something's happening how would I describe it? Then you can decide basically, all right, how do I meet the need that this is generating? Because remember, your default has just been to go and eat, right? That's what you've done in this context. Um, and I, I appreciate here that I'm kind of flowing back and forth between uh, people who are maybe over-restrictive with their food intake versus people who have difficulty with emotional regulation and use food as an outlet for that. Um, but a lot of it does come together and there is a lot of overlap. So, so bear with me on that. I realize it's not completely just bullet point, do this, do this, do this, do this, but this is all important stuff and I'm in flow. So let's keep it going. Um, so that is an important aspect of this. And you can see how mindfulness will help just in a very broad sense here. Um, and then what we get into is when people have issues with you know they have these foods that they say they can't control so this is what comes it comes back to the argument that i made before it's like yeah that's fine brian like desert island situation you know i'd eat the bread but when i eat it now in my just normal day today i just can't stop all right i can't i don't feel like i can control it and it's not true it's all these things that we've already discussed or i've just talked at you more so all these things that we've discussed that lead you to believe that you shouldn't be doing this but when you can take a step back be somewhat mindful give yourself permission to have these foods we do a mindful eating exercise um there's many ways that you could label it one that i like is like if you imagine that you're an alien and you've come down to earth and this is your first time seeing this food stuff whatever it may be you know so how would you approach that you know, you're there, you're interacting with all the other humans and you're seeing that they're all like tucking away at this stuff. So it's probably safe to eat, it's probably not poisonous, but then what would you do with it? So you basically going to look at it and the idea with this exercise is to engage with the food with all the five senses. So what does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? You're going to eat this, eat it very slowly. So again, this is for like your so-called trigger foods that you claim that you can't control. Um, and therefore never eat them but the reality is that it's because you never eat them that you can't control them as i hope i've already detailed and explained as to why that is the case so you're going to have this food stuff say it's chocolate and you're going to you know take out a reasonable portion first of all because you also don't want to make life harder for yourself and i spoke about this in the context of easter it's like 
you know, you don't want to just sit there with a whole Easter egg in front of you because, you know, me or you, Patty, or whoever, you know, uh, an example I have to use in this context is, you know, if you're at a party and you're sat in front of like the snack table versus if you go to a party and you're standing over in the corner, like talking to some people, like which version of you eats more? It's not going to be, it's not going to be the exact same, especially if you're, you're trying to like diet or manage body composition or anything. It's not going to be the exact same. So the person who's in that food environment, that's, let's say more challenging is going to eat more. So the same thing applies here. So take out a sensible portion of whatever this food is, everything else, no distractions, you know, no being on your phone while you're doing this, no watching TV while you're doing this, which is so common. Um, but just actually go slow, use all the five senses to eat the food, assess how you feel. You may want to have more. You may want to have more. That's all right. And um, this is a mistake people often make with this exercise. They think that, well, if I wanted to eat more than like the two squares of chocolate, I've failed. It's not about limiting the quantity of what you're eating now. It'll often do that, especially if you have this tendency just to eat a pack of biscuits after having one, it'll often result in that, but that is not the desired outcome. So you shouldn't have that expectation necessarily. The only thing you're trying to do here is basically eat the food properly as described, right? Really slowly tasting every bite, noticing what happens as you go through the the process of eating this food and that's what you're going to do um and what you will basically find you'll find one of two things right you'll either realize that this food was pretty horrible and you wonder why the hell was i making such a big deal about this food it's not even nice and i've had all sorts of cool feedback from people about different foods you know a guy talking about crisps and he was like yeah it just ended up as like a potatoey mush in my mouth and it wasn't pleasurable at all and I think I was just eating the crisp so fast, trying to maintain that flavor, you know, before it disappear, disappears in like two seconds. Um, I've had a girl, I remember, tell me like about uh, this type of biscuit that she used to have that she actually didn't enjoy the biscuit part. She only enjoyed the chocolate coating. Yet she was eating these biscuits basically just to eat that like two millimeter layer of chocolate that they're covered in. Okay, so you'll, you'll learn a lot about your, the foods that you're eating. And you'll find that a lot of the foods that you're eating when eaten this way aren't what you thought they were. So that's one thing that will happen. The other thing that might happen is that you realize that this food is actually class, right? I was right, but I'm going to be very, very happy eating a smaller amount. So I've it quite literally looks like, okay, I'll have a guy who, you know, usually eats three bars of chocolate and he, you know, has a, a difficult relation with food because he just, that's just what happens we do this exercise, he's half a bar of chocolate and enjoys it more than when he was eating three bars of chocolate. Okay. Cause he's tuned in. He's not creating this difficult emotional uh, situation for himself because he's, you know, basically not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not acting like the person he wants to be and all that stuff. So really, really useful exercise. I don't know if I've ever detailed it as well in a podcast, but there it is for you. Um, I get people to do this a couple of times a week generally um, to, to get practice. And then obviously the ultimate goal is to use it in acute settings or spontaneously, let's say, um, so that they basically see that, oh, this food actually is not a trigger. It's just all these different things that influence how I eat it is what made the difference. And then they basically realize, okay, I actually have a good relationship with this food now. Okay. I'm going to take a break for at least a second. Uh, um, one of the questions that you'll often get 
when you do try to improve someone's relationship with food, like all of these things, these are great protocols, these are great tools to use. And, you know, you obviously have to get that initial buy-in. That's the first part of this. You know, you actually have to have someone that wants to change, which is actually quite hard. You know, you think to be like, oh, this is really controlling my life, you know, but oftentimes people don't want to put any effort into changing this. And that's okay. They might not be in the place. They might not be in the perfect headspace to be able to deal with this right now because of, I don't know, whatever else is going on in their life, you know, that's okay. Right. But let's assume we get the buy-in, right. Mm. You'll often have people that have other goals as well. Right. And we might've done the initial kind of goal setting. We might've gone through, okay, well, why do you have these beliefs? Why do you think that this physique is, you know, the ideal, the pinnacle, whatever. Right. And that leads me or leads them to this situation where they want to work on their relationship with food, but they also have fat loss goals. Right. So two things happen here. They either are binge eating, let's say they're binge eating and they're not achieving their fat loss goals because they're binge eating. Right. So they know what they're currently doing. Can't, it isn't working. It isn't producing results, but they're hesitant to move away from that because they don't know if the methods you're going to employ will lead to fat loss results but then also if they just have a poor relationship with food in general and there are cases of like oh this is my trigger food and this is this and this and you're trying to work through all that stuff are we able to achieve fat loss at the same time or is it a case with both of those things you know just you know poor relationship with food and then you know maybe binge eating do we just have to forget about fat loss for now we'll do that in the future but right now it's the relationship with food that we have to deal with what what's your kind of I don't know, uh, timeline with that stuff? Yeah, it's a good question because because of all the things we talked about at the start, you know, someone may get to that point where they accept and acknowledge that they they need to work on the relationship with food and they know they want that to get better, but they haven't quite relinquished, you know, the influences of, but I also need to look a certain way. <laughs> so are they competing uh, goals or contradictory goals? To some extent, I don't. I don't think so because, like, it's kind of a different conversation to have at times because people can be quite dichotomous about this. Like, either you're anti-diet and you're 100 in on like body acceptance, body positivity, health at every size, all that, or you're like, no, everyone can just get fucking shredded and, and that other stuff doesn't matter. And it's like. You know, I want to tread the line because if someone genuinely wants to make changes to their physique or, you know, it could be from a health standpoint, like they could have excess body fat that they want to lose so that they are healthier and they live longer and they can keep doing the things they want to do. Like that is absolutely not okay to just ignore that if that's what someone wants to do. Now, obviously we want to assess like where this is coming from and there's a lot of context and nuance to this, but just basically. Fat loss is not inherently bad, you know, you just need to get that in your head. Cause I know a lot of people, they do make it out as if like, if you're in this space and you're talking about it, you could read a lot of stuff that makes it out like, Oh, if you even have a, a thought about fat loss, you fucked it already. You've got all yeah, these internalized beliefs, you know, it's disordered. Yeah. Disordered, whatever. It's like, no, like fat loss is not inherently bad. It might not be a good goal for you as an individual, but that doesn't mean across the board. It yeah. Is bad. And what will usually happen here though, realistically, like if someone has fat loss goals and they're binge eating semi-regularly, that is a massive barrier to them achieving that goal. Uh, assuming it's like 
you know, an objective binge rather than a subjective binge, which could be quite small, but the, the perceived loss of control is still there. But it's more often going to be objective binge. It's going to be quite a lot of calories consumed. Like that is a pretty bad situation to be in if you're also focusing on fat loss because you're literally undoing a week, maybe two weeks more work in one sitting. And that is incredibly frustrating and difficult for someone to have to deal with. So what I would suggest in this context is that you focus on your relationship with food first and foremost. But what you will find is that you have an easier time with the fat loss stuff when you've when you've taken care of your relationship with food or at least improved it. And like, you know, I have I can think of a, a lady I worked with um for a good few months there. She recently finished with me. Um I got on fantastically but you know I I told her so many times throughout the process is like because she almost seemed surprised that she was like losing weight quite easily. But I had to say, say to her so many times, like, you literally have almost the perfect dietary template. It's only because you were binging so much that you were just having a difficult time with fat loss and your body weight. And so she lost like, you know, five kilos in a couple of months. And she's like, I'm delighted. And it's like, I, I told you this would happen because once you remove that binge eating log jam, like your, your lifestyle is so supportive of fat loss, if that's what you want to try and do. I told that plenty of times and then, you know, eventually uh, did away with the binge eating and, and it happened. Um, but like I literally, literally used to uh, use her like food diary as an example. It's like, oh, you're eating 1,700 calories. This is like a class 1,700 calories. Like if you want to implement that. And that was with someone who had a really bad relation with food issues of binge eating initially. Um, so basically it just gets you out of your own way if you want to put it like that um but yeah you need to you need to be very um committed to parking the fat loss goals like being authentic about that and not being like yeah, yeah that's fine but like secretly being like oh can't wait for the fat loss <laughs> to come about um because like in most cases it will happen but if you're gonna have such an easier time of it if you make your relationship with food better and then you can go and pursue that. So that's fine. Like, I think trying to focus on fat loss, being in a big calorie deficit, depends on where someone's at. Like, you know, obviously there's, depends on like their starting point, the kind of foundation that they have with all the factors that are relevant here. Um, but for the most part, I'd be saying, look, at least give this a few weeks where we're not actively trying. Because then it, basically like if you, if you decide the fat loss is a goal and you're still having issues with binge eating, which... I will say is common, you know, just because you hire me to help you with this doesn't mean you never binge eat again from day one, you know? Um, and I rarely, well, no, I don't say rarely. I never make that promise. I never say to somebody, yeah, you know, after X amount of weeks, you will never have a binge eating issue again. But what I do say to people is it'll become so infrequent that it will no longer negatively impact your life in any way. Okay. If it happens, it might happen, you know, relapses, to put it that way, are as much a part of this process as any other part of the process. So take that in. Like, that's literally the case. Um, and it's more about how you respond to those when they occur that makes the difference. You know, I had a lady recently who worked with me long-term uh, in the past and had issues with this stuff, had issues with fat loss, but, like, resolved the binge eating, has an easy time with fat loss now. Um, but she had a she had a really stressful period there recently, and she did binge eat, and she felt so bad about it because she felt like 
oh, you know, I hadn't binged in two years, you know, thanks to the work that we did together. Yet I slipped now and that's terrible. But the way I look at it is like, you didn't binge in two years. Like what we did clearly worked really well, you know, and it's not some, it's not a failure. It's like a testament to her abilities now that like, you know, something happens once every couple of years, you know, because you have an extremely stressful week in your life and it doesn't really affect anything long-term. It's not that big a deal. Um, the analogy I always use, I'm sorry, it's always analogies. Um, I'm like, when you're dealing with this at the start, you're off-road driving, you know, it's bumpy. It's the whole, the suspension, everything, you know, you're literally the, the whole car is shaking, you know, every other turn, every other, you know, slight deviation, you're down a pothole and you fucked it off. You're literally, you're really struggling with this stuff. You know, eventually we get onto a little bit of a smoother path, but we're still kind of in, you know, the, the forest, there's still like twigs, there's still branches, you know, there's still bumps and you know all over the place eventually we get onto the road right but if we get onto the road you get onto you know the the highway the motorway whatever way you want to call it you know you might have some nice smooth plain sailing it might be you know great everything's working fantastically and then you still hit a, a speed bump you know or you still hit a pothole you know so just because you're on the motorway you're on the highway it doesn't mean that the roads are perfect from now on it just means that the likelihood of you hitting one of those bumps is reduced. You know, you might have tools, you might have better awareness to be like, oh, there's a speed bump ahead. I know what I need to do here. I need to slow down. I need to you know, move into this lane, whatever it is. You might have those tools to see it ahead of time. But like anyone who's driven for a while, you know, you're going to hit the speed bump and not notice it until the last second. And go, fuck, you know. Um, so that's the way I often analogize it so people can kind of go okay so it, it is part of the process you know yeah. this thinking of it as failure is is wrong it's not failure it's just part of the process you know we all go through it and i know I've, i'm thinking of like four or five clients where i'm like i can see that exact process where it's like we've done such great work for so long and then they have that little speed bump and they're like fuck am i up back at day one mm-hmm. and that's rarely the case you know it's rarely the case that you need to start everything over again because you've already built up a lot of skills. You've already built up a lot of knowledge and mindfulness around all of this stuff, you know? And then what I often also describe as well, when we're talking about this, you know, can we still be focusing on fat loss during this time period? What I'll often say to people is, look, when you're hungry, do you find it easier or harder to not binge eat or not do whatever the the food issue that we're dealing with when you're hungry do you find it easier or harder to deal with that obviously for the vast majority of people when they're hungry they're not at their best self they're not you know really dialed in with this stuff it's it's harder so if we're going to put ourselves into a deficit to try to lose fat it's going to make dealing with all of this other stuff harder so i usually try to get people to go right look for the next while, we're just eating at maintenance. We're just eating at a, a decent level of calories where you feel satisfied. You don't feel restricted. And we're just really working on the skills, the tools, the habits, the protocols, whatever it is, so that you don't have this binge eating or this disordered eating pattern uh, evident, right? Now, look, we're never going to fix it, cure it, whatever words you want to use in that four-week time frame. but it really gets that commitment to go, okay, I'm actually working on something else other than fat loss. And actually just even giving yourself that oftentimes is such a big jump, such a big leap that it can actually really trigger a lot of forward momentum in terms of actually dealing with the issue. Like you're not always in this yo-yo, oh, I'm always dieting. Like I'm sure, you know, you know so many people that are always dieting, you know, they're always on a diet. 
yet they remain the exact same, oftentimes it's because they'll be really restrictive you know, for a week, maybe two weeks, and then the weekend or the Thursday comes about, the issues you know, could be an issue in work, stress from this, whatever, boom, we're binge eating, and I'll oh, start again on Monday, and ultimately they're still eating in a surplus or at maintenance across the week, but they're eating a thousand calories Monday to Thursday, you know, which is not ideal. Yeah. No, I, I had a, I have a girl I'm working with at the moment who, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I said something along the lines of like, you know, when your fat loss phase is done and we move on to like just maxing out your performance and, you know, well, I can't remember what else I said, but you know, her response to that was like, geez, like the prospect of actually not just focusing on fat loss all the time is, foreign but appealing <laughs> so you, yeah you just see it all the time where people like have one thing that they attempt to do and that's to lose body fat and even when they're not even when their behaviors don't line up with that goal they're still engaging with a large amount of cognitive dietary restraint where it's kind of the same stress on their psychology even if they're not getting it done which is one of the reasons why like unsuccessful dieting is so frustrating like it's it takes a toll and you don't get anywhere and you know the that, that merry-go-round that you talked about basically um one other thing i want to i want to talk about in this uh, context which i've alluded to already was this idea of body image right because this i've found in you know recent years to be extremely important to also work on in this context as well right because and i'm going to quote shannon beer who's been on this podcast before a couple of times i think um three times he's like one of our most frequent guests mm. um you know she she makes the point she she does a lot of good work in this space as well um and as the quote that you can change how you look without changing how you feel about yourself and then the reverse is also true you can change about how you feel about yourself without changing how you look, right? And for the most part, people want to change how they feel about themselves, right? Because, you know, you see this all the time. It's like people say, I'll be happy when I'm X size, you know, in a, in a dress or whatever. And it's like, but are you though? Like, it depends, like, depends on your relationship with yourself and, and the, the route you took to get there. Uh, it may not necessarily be the case. And if that's not the case, then we've sort of failed you a little bit as coaches because you have to think about what you're ultimately trying to get out of this. And essentially, again, you just want to be, you want to be happier, basically healthier and all these things that, that tie in together. So just, just on that, like I often say, uh, at Triage, we often use the mantra of like, there's kind of three goals that you look for with all this stuff that we talk about. You're like, you've got health, you've got body composition, and then you've got performance. And performance is both the physical and the mental side of things, you know? Anyway, health is a bit wishy-washy, excuse me, can't even speak, a bit wishy-washy in terms of like, are we, what, what are we actually looking for with that? Is it specific metrics, blood panel, like what, what's going on there, you know? And body composition, again, it's like, that's different for everyone. But what you can use as a kind of more practical way of thinking of those three categories, and this isn't lined up perfectly, but it's how do you look? How do you feel? How do you perform? You know, you could change. You could be focusing all your energy on how you look, and it might not change how you feel. It might not change how you perform, you know, and 
conversely, you can be focusing on one of the other ones and it's not changing the other ones, you know? Um, and that's really important to understand that you've basically got these three things to look at when you're, you're assessing what's going on. How do you look? Do you like the way you look? Okay, maybe you don't like the way you look. Why is that, you know? Um, is it changing how you feel? Okay, it would changing how you look change how you feel? Oh, it would, or you think it would. Why is that? Let's actually just start questioning that. And conversely, it's like, if I changed how you feel, like, do you care how you look? For example, if I was to say, you know, you step on the scales, let's say 75 kilos in your mind is, oh, like if I weighed 75 kilos and I step on the scales, I would hate myself. I would, you know, I'd be off the charts, uh, sad, emotional, angry, you know, frustrated. And then if I was like, right, you're going to weigh 75 kilos, but you're going to look exactly how you want, you know, down to the T. If you were to be like, you know, mental map of this is the exact body that I want, but you weigh 75 kilos, would the weight matter to you then? And obviously people are like, no, obviously the weight wouldn't matter to me then, you know? So we have to be really clear in terms of what we're actually trying to impact here. And again, I usually often use that kind of, how do you look? How do you feel? How do you perform? And how do they tie into each other? You know, would you be happy performing a certain way, you know, being like, oh, I got leaner, but my performance tanked. I wasn't as present with my family. I wasn't as present in my job. I wasn't as able to train as hard in the gym or my sport or whatever. Would you be okay with that? You know, are we okay with those trade-offs? And we just have to have those conversations so that we can really dial in on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so yeah, basically we want to also work on this body image stuff, uh, simultaneously, but you have to ask you, like, what are you ultimately trying to achieve with, you know, making these changes to your body composition and, you know, can they be achieved by doing some more inner work or if not achieved, at least complemented by, because like I said, all right, I'm very happy to help someone lose weight, lose fat, uh, all that good stuff. Um, but I don't want it to come about and they don't feel any better about themselves. So that's why we do this body image work. Um, that's why we do exercises in that regard. And as well, like I said, at the start, like huge amount of what drives this disordered eating and poor relationships to food is trying to influence your body image to achieve a certain outcome. That's, you know, we've detailed that to, to a large extent already in this podcast, so I don't need to go through it again, but that's, you know, why we're trying to do that work. And, you know, I can think of an example of a, a lady who just finished working with me um you know there's different things she's done you know first of all like you know binge eating is uh reduced back to almost nothing like i said it's, it's never like 100 nothing forever but it's almost nothing um but you know she's doing things like going to you know dance classes that she would have been really nervous about going to because of like how her body looks uh going for group c swims again thoughts of anywhere seeing her in a in a swimsuit it just you know, a few months ago, it just, it was just a no go, but we do this work on body image and all of a sudden it opens doors to that sort of stuff, which can often lead you to where you want to get to with this stuff. Like I, like I said already, um, towards the beginning. So we're actually not going to have time to, to go into much detail on this. I may have to do another episode on this potentially, but, uh, basically there's, there's exercise that we do here to help improve people's body image. Any clients listening to this will, will probably be pretty familiar with them. And a lot of it comes down to, you know, developing more body gratitude and, you know, modifying your behaviors around 
that that like reinforce negative body image you know so things like body checking that sort of stuff um again really figuring out like what kind of person do you want to be and how do you want to live your life right and seeing you know what ways can we do that besides just changing how much uh you know adipose tissue is on your frame right um and you know a lot of that comes back to again identifying what your values are what's important to you how do you want to live your life what kind of person trying to be so again this may not be like all this stuff may not be what people expect when they they come on board to do nutrition coaching with me to do this kind of work but this is this is what we do and this is what it takes and you know it's immensely rewarding to see so many people have breakthroughs and then be able to go and live the life they want to live and be the person they want to be yeah exactly anyway look you have to go somewhere um we won't reveal okay. where uh, <laughs> ah? we won't reveal where you know we'll just yeah, on the down low uh, be real cryptic but you have a heart out so we're going to wrap it up here but is there any final like parting words that you want to say anything where like i don't know obviously look if someone's dealing with this stuff and they think they need help you have coaching spots available. You know, you're always available for consultations. Dean is also available. He has coaching spots available. Like if it's more the full coaching aspects, like myself, Gary, Nicola, uh, and Shane are able to deal with this stuff. Like obviously we refer to you. You're our, that's why we hired you. That's why you're the head of nutrition. That's why you're the guy. You're the guy for this stuff, you know? So like if we have an issue, we always lean internally and be like, Brian, how do I deal with this person? What do you think we need to do? We might do an internal consult, whatever, right? But other than that, maybe someone wants to try go it alone. Do you have any kind of parting words for them or any parting, you know, information? Obviously, look, they've just listened to whatever, an hour 40 or an hour 30 minute podcast. So there's a lot of information there, but you know yourself. Yeah, I mean, basically like putting all the things together that I've, I've gone through in this podcast, like those are the steps. Like there's very little, like besides the, maybe the body image stuff that I didn't have time to go through now. Like, so the specifics of those exercises, like I've tried to give you at least something on those, but as for the rest of it, I think I've been pretty straightforward and like, this is what it looks like. Now, obviously it's very different when you uh, hire me as your coach and I'm having this dialogue with you. Um, and we're using some of these, you know, uh, CBT techniques, we're using some of these act techniques. Um, but though, like, yeah, I suppose, look, doing some personal research into like acceptance and commitment therapies of the happiness trap is a really good book. Um, uh, like for that, that's immensely useful just in general. And it can definitely apply to a lot of these situations. Um, but yeah, but basically all the things that, that we discussed, like you need to set some goals. You need to understand why your relationship with food is the way it is. Um, and you need to start like working with yourself on this stuff and doing the introspection. And people don't like to do that stuff. People don't like to do it. People like to go to the gym and, you know, scan their stuff in my fitness pile. They don't really like to examine who they are when they're just alone with their thoughts. Right. Um, but that's what it takes. Like none of, none of us like are like hundred percent comfortable doing that, but that's what's going to take. I'm definitely sadistic because I fucking like doing that stuff. I'm like, <laughs> If I was in the position that Stalin was in, would I do the same things that he did? You know, like I'm putting myself in those positions and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm actually a fucking terrible person. I probably would do X, Y, and Z, <laughs> you know? Um, but look, that's, that's just me. <laughs> yes. What a nice way to close out, huh? <laughs> um, but no, like it, it's all these things I've talked about, mind pleading. It's like, you know, you have to, 
set up some process goals. Like we have an abundant amount of content on goal setting. You know, there's clips from, you've done podcasts with Gary on this recently, you know, towards the start of the year or whatever. You know, you can listen to those if you need help with trying to establish some goals on this. And then it's just basically getting to work. Like it all kind of works the same way. Like you have a goal, you figure out what it is you're aiming at. You decide what processes are going to get you there. The processes basically are all the things that we've discussed today. Um, and it's just about getting to work and being consistent with those like you would with any other goal. Um, so I don't think I have anything else to add. Uh, I think this is maybe the best podcast I've ever done. So let's just leave it there. Yeah, fantastic. Anyway, anyone who's been listening, if you are interested in reaching out, look, our contact details are below. If you want to find out what we do, you can follow us on Instagram. That's where we put out the most amount of information. Obviously, you can join the email newsletter. You get content that's not seen anywhere else. You can follow us with you know any of the links below, YouTube, TikTok, or some of us are on TikTok or whatever. You know, like you can find information about us, right? Um, but if you are dealing with this stuff, I would just say, it's a very hard journey to do alone. And that doesn't mean that you need to you know, get coaching from Brian. But what I would recommend is actually talking to other humans, right? Talking to other humans about this stuff, because once you voice and you actually try to articulate the issues that you're dealing with, it really does make it a lot easier to actually deal with in your own mind, right? Like I often say that the human mind is meant for dialogue. We're not meant to just be listening to our own thoughts in just our own head you know we're a hyper social animal why would you think that being in your own head is a good thing you know like only being in your own head with these thoughts is a good thing we're supposed to work through ideas together collaboratively right and so talk to people doesn't have to be brian obviously look brian's a fantastic coach he'd be able to help you but it could literally just be your granny, your mother, your friend, your, you know, brother, I don't know, you know, someone that is there to just listen to your thoughts, you know, um, but other than that, guys, we're going to wrap it up. We will see you again on the next one. We'll probably get Brian on, maybe even Shannon as well to do some sort of uh, body image stuff and talk through that stuff. We'll see how this whole female series goes. And what I would say is, look, it really does help us if you share, like, subscribe, do all that stuff with the podcast, because then more people see it and, you know, that helps more people, which is ultimately the goal. Anyway, guys, peace out.